Morning, everyone. Well, very warm welcome to you. Um, we over the over August things are a little bit different here on Sundays. Over August we have shorter services, and then uh, over the bank holiday weekend we we don't have a, su- a Sunday service, and because numbers of us are on a course called Lead, which happens on the bank holiday weekend, others go to David's Tent, which is like a, a Christian uh, praise and worship festival that happens over the bank holiday weekend, and so we just kind of let things lie on that Sunday. Um, and so this is that kind of feels a little bit like a sort of our first Sunday back in that sense. So it's exciting to gather together uh, like this, and to, to, it's good to see one another, isn't it? Yeah. Praise God! It's such a privilege to be able to lift up the name of Jesus together. I just, you know, I mean, wow! Just to meditate on on the glories of the gospel together, and just to sing of the triumph of Jesus and the, the clean, cleansing from sin and new life. I mean. Wow, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. Um, we're starting a new series over this term, which will take us up through to, um, to, to Christmas time. And that's going to be, we're going to be looking um, at, at the life of um, uh, King David, the King of Israel, um, in, a, in quite a specific kind of way. So we'll, we will unpack what that looks like as the weeks um, go on. But David was one of the most famous kings, probably the most famous king of Israel was Solomon who was David's son, and where we get the phrase, people talk about the wisdom of Solomon, and that all goes back to that king. But David was his father, and uh, we're going to look at the life of David, but particularly through the Psalms over this series, over this term. So we'll be preaching a lot of Psalms and really connecting them in with the narrative of, of David's life. So uh, it's just trusting that God will, um, will use that, um, and we can. The, the, the name of the series is called Worship and War. Um, so if you read the Psalms, you can, a lot of what's going on is, is, is the praise of God and trouble. <laughs> um, it's just the reality of the Psalms. It's, uh, it's probably the most read book of the Bible. Um, it's where a lot of people immediately turn to when trouble arises. You go to the Psalms because you, you, you know that you're going to very quickly find something that feels really relevant. Um, and so we're going to look at, at, at the life of David through the Psalms. And under this theme, this heading of worship and, and war. It's important to say a couple of things. One, maybe one thing on worship, one thing on war, then we'll move on. The, the, the thing with worship is, is that we can, we can use that word in a very narrow way to simply describe what we've been doing for the last hour. And that's appropriate. We've, we have been doing that. But the way the Bible uses the word is a lot wider than that. So, so elsewhere in the Bible, it talks about offering our bodies as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual act of worship. That's Romans chapter 12. There's something about, there's something what we did in the last hour, of, of, which is kind of uh, very focused and very, very specific. But it ought to be a, a reflection, essentially, of what we're doing with the rest of our lives. And you know what? I will say this. It is, it is a reflection of what all of us are doing with the rest of our lives. The only question is this. Is it towards Jesus? Because we're all worshippers. We're made to worship. That is, what, that is one of the great levels about humanity. And one of the most helpful illustrations I've ever heard of it is it's a little bit like we are a garden hose set constantly on full blast. Um, and, but our choice is where we aim it, what, 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 what we put it on. And you can't stop worshipping. You'll either be worshipping yourself whether that's some kind, whether that's your plans, your hopes, your dreams, so many people's lives come crashing down when, 
when dreams don't work out because that's really what they're all about. Some people are worshipping, well, it's fun out there. Um, <clears throat> some people are worshipping their bodies, how they look, their faces, their, their, their physical. Some people are worshipping someone else, something else. In fact, the Bible says we've all gone wrong in that we, 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 we turn towards something created instead of, instead of towards the creator. Um, I wonder, wonder why we get ourselves in trouble. But the bottom line is we're all worshippers, so it's massively relevant. You could be sitting there as an atheist. I'll tell you now, you're a worshipper. Okay, you're just an atheistic one. Okay, so relevant. Worship is essentially about what do you give yourself to? What is, what is the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning? What is the thing that drives your life? And that's a very penetrating question. And one that we really need, only God can help us really understand that. We don't even understand ourselves well enough often to know the answer to that truly. It's a big question. And then war. When we talk about war as Christians, sometimes we use it to talk about actual war. Sometimes we, talk, we, we use it to talk about something, again, broader than that, whereby the, 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 the scriptures teach us something has gone seriously wrong in creation. And as a result of that, that there, that, that there is an environment of warfare that we are in, spiritually speaking. And that can sound a bit dramatic, and it can sound a bit mysterious, but it is clearly revealed biblical truth that there is conflict in the heavenly places, and that plays out on the earth, and that actually our own hearts and minds are epicenters of, 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 of warfare. And, and a, a lot of that is tied in with this idea of worship. Who, who are we listening to? Who are we trusting? John Piper, the famous theologian preacher, says, he says this, he says, he says, life is always war. It's not just that, but it's always that. The context of our lives is not peacetime. There's, there's a battle for our hearts and our minds constantly raging spiritually. And so these themes of worship and war are immensely relevant for all of us. Um, what we're going to do, how we're going to do this today is that first I want to just look quickly at David, look at how things started for him. These next two weeks will be intro, intro weeks and I'm going to focus on David's calling and draw out a main foundational point of that for us today. And then next week we're going to focus a bit more on the whole element of, of song, music, spirituality and the intersection of, of those themes and psalms and just try to understand the, the place of music and song in the, in the economy of God and the purposes of God for our lives. So just to set the scene properly. So, but today I want to focus on the man himself and, 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 and the calling um, on his life. Um, he, the, the context, the backdrop is, is that there's been one king before David, Saul. Before that, Israel was a theocracy. It was not a monarchy. It became a monarchy because the people insisted, we want to be like the other nations. We don't like this, you don't feel secure simply having God as our leader because we can't see him. We're not allowed to make images of him. It doesn't feel concrete enough. Give us something concrete. We want to be like the other nations, which is always, you know, at that point, this is not going to end well. Whenever you want to be like someone who's put their trust in something temporary instead of trusting God, you know you've gone down the wrong road. Samuel, the prophet who represented God in the nation, is heartbroken, but God says to Samuel, Samuel, peace, they've not rejected you. They've rejected me. But we'll give them a king. And Saul is chosen. And it's said of Saul that he is head and shoulders physically above everyone else in Israel. 
And, and, and what happens is in this dynamic between Saul and David is, that, is, is what we've got. You've got two real historic individuals, but you've got two frameworks of what, uh, what rule for God looks like. And with Saul, he's physically head and shoulders above everyone else. He's impressive. He, he, he looks the part. And really, he begin, he, as the story goes on, he represents just leadership in the flesh, leadership in the natural, just leadership out of simply human resources and the, and, and the limits of that. That it's not wrong. They are God-given attributes, but he's not a spiritual man. He's full, of, he's full of envy. He's full of personal fear and insecurity. He refuses to trust God. He, he's, he, he's, he's internally He's a bag of jangling nerves and he refuses to trust God and it goes badly, badly wrong because he's, he's rooted just in the natural and in the end he's overtaken by envy, gripped and becomes murderous and you know, his, his life ends tragically. And then we're going to look at the, uh, the calling of David today and, and begin to mark out the differences. So if we're going to read together, please uh, turn with uh, me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Um, verses 1 to 11, the Bible says, don't neglect the public reading of scripture. So we're going to read it together, read the story together. So um, obviously the words are up here, but obviously also feel free in your Bible to turn there because it's kind of helpful to, to do that because you, you grow in familiarity of what's where. And, and this book, which is a very big book, begins to feel a bit more like you've become more familiar with it, which is very helpful. So I'm going to read from here. We're going to read together. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? 
And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for he will not sit down until he comes here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We love the scripture and we pray, Lord, that your spirit would freshly fill us as we look at words anointed and inspired by you. Amen. What a story. <laughs> I mean, it's laughable. It's, it's, it's embarrassing for, for Jesse. It's, it's embarrassing for Samuel, the prophet. He gets it wrong. Spiritual man sent by God. Um, the, the head and shoulders king has already messed up. And he finds another head and shoulders man and says, Ah, oh, this must be the one. So you can be spiritual but still just slip into all the wrong kind of thinking. It happens so easy, doesn't it? Samuel was a prophet. He heard God. But he, he saw someone impressive and went, wow, it's so quick to put your trust in someone impressive. So easy. It's too easy. Someone charismatic, someone confident, someone physically impressive, their, their, their body shape, the way they look, the way they hold themselves, where they, where they come from physically, their, their lineage. Wow, you can so easily do it. Um, and, and so Samuel goes from Saul to this, oh, and God says, no. Um, and they all pass by. And the situation is so stark. Imagine you put yourself in Samuel's shoes, all seven pass by, and it's none of them. I don't know about you, at that point I'm starting to panic. And I'm looking, I'm the prophet, I'm going to look really silly here. It's going to look really bad, but uh, he asks the right question. Are they all here? Are all your sons here? And the response is laughable. You just, it's almost just you going, oh yeah, oh yeah, well, there's the youngest, but this is like a really important spiritual meeting, just looking after the sheep. It's that moment, Samuel says, we will not sit down until he arrives. I love that. Nothing's happening until this one arrives, but he's number eight. In the Bible, number seven means completion, perfection. Maybe David was a last minute surprise. Maybe he wasn't expected. Maybe Jesse's his wife said, seven, you know, high seven. You know, we've got the full set. Brilliant. We're done. We're done. And seven's impressive, you know, so seven's great. And then suddenly, who knows? I don't know. I'm pregnant. Why have we got seven? <laughs> it's number eight. Something very, very important is going on here, whereby the principle that's coming through is that God chooses the unlikely. He chooses the unlikely. It's not just random. It, it, you find it time and time again. You find it in narrative stories in the Bible. And then when it gets to the, to the New Testament, it comes to the fore in like really strong teaching. It's very, very, very um, counterintuitive. Uh, this whole thing of unlikeliness. Listen to what Paul says. I'm just going to, you haven't got to read, read this out loud together, but if we just kick the next uh, passage up. Um, thank you. Paul says to the Corinthians, where's the one who's wise? Now this is really interesting because Paul's background is one of academia, wisdom. Paul was, Paul was no slouch. 
Paul was highly intelligent. He, so naturally, he's a gifted man, okay? So you know sometimes people say, oh, you know, God chooses, you know, I don't know, weak people because they're naturally really weak and it makes them feel better about themselves. It's not Paul. Very able man. Okay? But he says, where's, where's the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Then he says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through its wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So there's a weak and a foolish message, this Jesus crucified. You might be here and you may not currently be a believer. And you've come and you got here on time, because most guests do. And, uh, which means you experienced all the songs. Uh, and you, you heard these people singing of the blood of Jesus and the cross of Jesus. And some people started clapping and some people started whooping. And you're thinking, what is this? Let's get to the meat of the message they're really excited about. And it turns out after all the songs, the conclusion you come to is, this must be the meat of the message. Christ crucified. It's just weird. I mean, it's weak. It's foolish. The Bible says that in the world in its wisdom didn't come to know God. In fact, the world in its wisdom left God in quotes behind. The world in its wisdom has gone its own way. And so it's, the Bible says they actually pleased God to, for this message, this extraordinary message of Christ crucified to save those who believe. Why? Because it just pulls the rug of human pride out. And says, you know what? If you're going to know salvation, you cannot build on the foundation of human pride. It just can't be done. You cannot say, I am in Christ. I, 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 I cling to this message of Christ crucified for my salvation. You can't really say that from the bottom of your heart and remain proud. It's oil and water. It's completely different things. You can't do both of those things because it's a completely different foundation. You come to Christ crucified on the foundation of utter need, desperation and a revelation of your weakness. And that you can do nothing to make yourself right before God. That's the foundation. Otherwise, the cross makes no sense. If it's Jesus and a bit of what you bring and a bit of this, the whole, do you really think that God would give his son up to that if there was some kind of negotiation possible, some kind of blended deal? Don't you think that Jesus would just maybe just come and do some teaching instead and then, and then we could maybe use our will to embrace his teaching and together we could have this idea? Many people think that's what Christianity is and it isn't what it is at all. Christianity is where you recognise that I need a brand new foundation and there's only one foundation that can be laid and it's Jesus Christ. It's radical. It's utterly radical. And when you build on that foundation, radical things happen. And when you try and create a blended foundation, you wonder why you, you don't grow as you should. You wonder why... It's just feel, it feels strange because it's a mixed foundation. It's not, it's not the right foundation. It's, Jesus isn't someone you add to your life. It's not an addition to your already busy life. He becomes the foundation or not nothing. It's radical as that. Right? So that's what it says. And it says, Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Whew. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many powerful, not many noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose number eight. God chose number eight. 
God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Not boast before the Lord about what you've done, what you've brought out. No, 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 but you boast in the Lord. He is my boast. He becomes our boast. That word that means glory, that we glory in him. That we say, we've got this huge boast in the presence of God and it's Jesus. <laughs> this utter confidence I can stand in the presence of God and it's all about Jesus. His extraordinary holiness, perfection, righteousness, his incredible sacrifice, his resurrection. All of this was done for us, for me, and I've been brought into it and I, I make him my boast and, and the Father loves it because all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. And so when we make much of Christ, it's just so appropriate. It's wow. And, it, it, and you have to... You, you, you can't be on a foundation of self-sufficiency and enjoy that. It will completely challenge and undermine and bother your self-sufficiency. You build on Jesus, it will bother your self-sufficiency. You'll be bothered. It's not a comfortable place to be. This is what's going on. You see, when you come to know Jesus Christ, you either realise right at the outset how weak and needy you are, or you will realise on the, on the journey. <laughs> it happened to Paul he was a very proud man a very able man God God dealt with him when he was on his way to arrest Christians Jesus met with him and he's kind of he's, he's saved and he's built on Christ yeah but then he has these ex- extraordinary experiences of God. God takes him to the third heaven. He, he hears things, he says, that are so wonderful, you can't even repeat them. He has these amazing encounters with God. But as a result, God has to then, to keep him from becoming uh, uh, spiritually proud, deal with him some more. And I'm going to read that and I'm going to make the final point and then bring some application. So this is uh, 2 Corinthians 12. Well, um, To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited, from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I want to suggest to you that this story, this scripture here, that his power is made perfect in our weakness and that when we're weak, we're strong, are lovely songs to sing and very difficult truths to live. Because when you know when you're in a Christian meeting and it's like, yes, Lord, you know. Your power was made perfect in my weakness. Yes, you know, it's like, it just feels glorious, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? It feels like, oh yeah, all right, I love this. And then, and then some of this happens, whether it's weakness or insults happen or hardships, persecutions or calamities. And you're suddenly deeply aware of the, the incredible limit of your own resources. Am I right? 
the limit of your patience, the limit of your faith, the, 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 the limit of your compassion. That you just you think, wow, I'm literally like, I was telling someone how well I was doing spiritually three days ago. This hit, and I'm nearly dead. Do you know what I mean? It's like, whoa. You know, now, if you are cushioned against all difficulty and hardship, which many, many Westerners so control their life that they manage that for a number of years, then you might not be able to relate to this, and you, and, and, but you are... V- incredibly vulnerable to a state of delusion about your own spirituality it's hard words and they're strong words but they're true words because it's when things hit that you suddenly go ah i'm i I didn't think i was a warrior and now i'm really struggling with anxiety i didn't think i was that short-tempered but it turns out i am and it, and it brings you to a place where you where you have a choice to make and the choice is am i going to continue to look inside myself in my own resources to try to be the kind of person I want to be, or am I going to, am I going to build on Jesus? Am I going to build on him? And you know what? It feels so counterintuitive because we are taught from day one to kind of, and it's not all wrong, don't hear what I'm saying. We're taught by our parents how to become responsible if our parents are uh, responsible. They just want to teach us to be responsible. Um, take responsibility for ourselves and to grow up and to be people who contribute to society. None of these things are wrong. But it's not a foundation. It's not a foundation. You, if that is your foundation, you'll become a moralist. You'll become um, someone who, you know, you, you do the right thing. And you're very aware of those who don't. And you haven't got much time for them because they're not contributing. And it really doesn't smell much like Jesus. Sounds like another group of guys called the Pharisees. Who were very impressive and very religious and very fastidious and very disciplined. And, and Jesus said to them, you don't, have, you don't know the love of the Father. It's not in you. The love of God's not in you. John chapter 5, it's not in you. You don't understand. You search the scriptures because you think in them you'll find eternal life. They're all about me. You're lost, you're blind, you can't see it. You see, you've got, to, you've got to be able to discern the difference between what is, what is your foundation and what isn't. The foundation has to be Jesus. None of us are born with the Jesus foundation naturally. That's why Jesus says to enter the kingdom, you have to be born again. Something has to happen where, where you say, I'm starting again on Jesus. Built on who he is and what he has done. Built on the grace of God given to me in Jesus. I'm building on that. And I'm going to learn how to live in the flow of his life and power coming through me. Because that's the only way we're going to do this well and do this fruitfully. In order to do that, you have to learn to embrace your weakness. You have to allow yourself to be... Um, to, you have to allow God to help you to see what you really are like without him. And that's uncomfortable, brothers and sisters. It's not pleasant. It's not enjoyable. But if you will let the Lord do that, and you will, you, and you will allow him to just deal with that self-will... That self-sufficiency, that self-self, you know, put whatever you want word after it. Self-realization, self, self, self. So we're not building on that. I'm going to build on Jesus. I tell you, you will find that a power enters your soul, your life, that is completely inexplicable and extraordinary. And it's, it's, not, it's not some sort of weird guru, cultish. You know, some people, you see them walking down the streets and it's like, Weird, eyes glazed over, just weird. You think, I don't want to have dinner with you. It'd be too weird. There's nothing real, there's nothing human. There's, you've just gone into like some strange parallel universe. I don't want to, no, it's not that. It's fully human. I, he, 
Jesus, fully God, fully, fully man, fully human. And it's real and it's honest and it's heart and it's mind and it's soul and it's physical and it's normal. Okay, But there's a power to be able to walk through weakness, insult, hardship, calamity. And you come through it looking more like Jesus. You come out of it going, wow, you've changed me. You come out of it less, less aware of how well you did and more aware of, isn't he wonderful? Isn't he glorious? Isn't he kind? Isn't he patient? Look at the way he's, look at the way he's walked us through this and led us through this. Isn't he got the wisdom? He's got such wisdom for us when he wanted. You see, this is, this is the foundation. This is the David spirit. This is what, what we're going to be. When you read the Psalms, you see it's the intersection between worship and war. It's always weak, it's weakness. God, I cried out to the Lord. What, my soul, wait on the Lord. Hope in the Lord. It's just God intoxicated. It's an extraordinary man. He was naturally handsome. He was, a, he was wonderfully, creatively gifted. He, he knew how to wield a sword. He, he, was a, he, was, he was not like he didn't have anything going for him. He did. But there was this foundation in him of the Lord. And, and as a result, there's these extraordinary songs that, uh, that, that, are, that, are, that is the most read spiritual literature on the whole planet. That's the fruit of him building on the Lord. And I tell you now, brothers and sisters, if we will build on Jesus Christ, he will, he will accomplish things through our little lives that are extraordinary. And his calling on each one of us is different. And so for some of us, it may be, you know, kind of very obvious, very public and this sort of stuff. For others of us, it may be very, very much behind the scenes and undramatic. That's not the point. That's just the varied purposes of God. That's wonderful. That's the tapestry. That's the diversity. But the whole thing is the same thing. It's the same thing. If we will trust him with what he's given us and steward it on the foundation of Jesus... And say, Lord, I'm willing to let you deal with me. I tell you, he'll do extraordinary things. If you don't let him, then I just want to say a few things. You'll struggle in prayer. You'll never really get through on your prayer life. Because if you're on a foundation of self-sufficiency, prayer doesn't make any sense. You might throw up a prayer so you feel like, I can tick that box, I've prayed. And then you, but then you will just default to your foundation, which is figuring it out. And there's nothing wrong with thinking and making decisions and figuring things out. But it's the order in which you do it. What's the foundation? The foundation is Christ. Then the prayers are real. You know, God, there's stuff here that's way beyond me. There's stuff here I can never figure out. There's too many components. Lord, I'm trusting you. That, you see? That, from that place, he can then give you the the steps of obedience so you then have to engage brain, you know, takes, let's be practical. But it's a foundation of God speaking. You've, you're waiting on him. Do you see what I'm saying? You're really praying because you really need him. Not just, oh, I've said a prayer and now we're going to sort it. No, 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 that's not it. Some situations in life are like a ball of tangled wool. And the more you pull and fiddle, the tighter the thing gets. It's beyond you. Let me tell you, there will be relationships that are beyond you. There will be situations that are beyond you. They are beyond you. And the more you pull, the worse it gets. He can unravel it, so you've got to be before him, because he'll say, pull that bit now. And you never would have pulled that bit, you would have pulled that bit. Do you see what I'm saying? It's, it's, it might sound, this might be a bit 101, I'm really sorry if this is basic, but I tell you, this is huge. So many times when you pass people, they, they've got in a pickle because they haven't waited on God. 
They've panicked. They've not trusted. And they've, done, they've just acted out of there, made that decision out of fear, spent that money out of guilt, just done stuff out, and they've not been on the foundation of Jesus. It's just been, it's just been worldly wisdom or upbringing that's been the foundation. And you think, oh, you're in a real pickle now. We could have, we, we could have helped you through. We, we didn't have, this didn't have to happen. Hallelujah. If, if you are there, there's always a way back, okay? Because he's a redeemer, okay? But sometimes we find, you think, I didn't need to be there. So, so you won't pray. You'll struggle in terms of um, fellowship because you won't be vulnerable. Self-sufficient people do not know how to be vulnerable. They just show the good side. Yeah, great. Yeah, great. No, I'm sorry, but no one's always, yeah, great. Like, no one. And I'm not just saying, let's all be dour and down. No, but no one's always, yeah, great. Sometimes it's tough. You see, if you're self-sufficient, you can't do, if you're built on Jesus, you know you can, be, you can be honest. You can be straightforward. You can say, well, it's actually, at the moment, this is a bit tricky. Could do with some prayer. Could do with a bit of help there, actually. We don't know. We're stuck. You see? And that's beautiful. It's wonderful. The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God moves through honesty. He's the Spirit of truth. So when you're, when you're, when you're truthful, I tell you, it's just the Spirit of God flows. So you're struggling fellowship. You're, you're, you're struggling reading the Bible because if you're self-sufficient, then you think, oh, no, no, I know what to do. Read a proverb, there might be some ideas. That's not it. The, the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Like, so therefore, my default ought to be, I actually think I understand the situation. Odds are I don't. Right? Odds are I don't actually get what's going on. That's much more, not just humble, that's much more true <laughs> most of the time we jump to conclusions we look at appearances we've got blind spots and then we think we know what it's hold on a minute be before God be before God there's a humility in waiting be before God you struggle if you're self-sufficient and you're, you're struggling in terms of witnessing telling others about Jesus you'll really struggle because there'll be no excitement about your relationship with God you'll just be ticking the boxes well, when you're built on self-sufficiency being a Christian is really boring be honest if it's really boring you just go to meetings and sing and then try and be good wow like, is it it's not life to the full life to the full is trusting trusting him with your your heart your mind your soul your resources there's trust if that's scarier but you, you'll never get you, you, you won't get bored <laughs> you won't get bored i hope i'm not being irresponsible we, we need to yield to him. Otherwise he becomes an appendage. He becomes an add-on. It, doesn't, it just doesn't work. He's Lord or he's nothing. Um, now just to finally say, this doesn't mean that you, you building on Jesus doesn't mean that you, that you pretend you haven't got gifts, you haven't got abilities. Okay? You use all your gifts and all your abilities, but it's built on Jesus. They say, Lord, you gave me this, so I'm not proud about it because I've received it either just through natural birth or as a spiritual gift, I've received it from you and I want to use it for your glory. Yeah? So don't go silly and like, oh no, you know, I'm weak and foolish. I, I couldn't possibly you know, be on the operations team on a Sunday morning. I'm way too weak and foolish for that. You know, trust me, Lord can use you. Lord can use you working with kids. Lord can use you hospitality. Right? He can use you. Right? So we're not going to do that. Um, And then just say, in terms of our mission as a church, we, 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 our, our hope, our heart, our longing is to see many, many people's lives transformed by Jesus, isn't it? 
Yeah, that's, we, just long, we know what we've experienced and we think we just long that for that for others, don't we? And it's such a joy over the last few years to baptise tens of people that can testify. It's changed my life. But I will say this, that, that our mission, our witness, the, the, Paul says in the Bible, we don't preach ourselves, we preach him. You see, um, we, pre- we, we, we talk about Jesus. And if you, if you build on Jesus, then I tell you what, you, you will talk about him. And it will, you, the way you talk about him, some people will go, I don't want to know, that's way too challenging. Others will be drawn in and saved. Because you're talking about something so real. It's the tr- he is the truth, and you're living in him. It's just like, wow. It's like, the, the, in fact, you know, Paul says, you're, you're, like, you're like a letter, you're like written by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you're just, you're, Jesus is, is the gospel, but he's embodied in people's lives that are, that are living in Christ. And that has impact. Whereas if you're self-sufficient, you won't be excited about Jesus, number one, so you probably won't talk about him, because we only talk about what we're excited about, to be honest. And then, number two, if you do talk about Jesus, kind of this, it's, going to sound, it's going to be like a hollow ring to it. Do you understand what I'm saying? People feel like it just doesn't really... The way you talk about Jesus isn't the way I talk about football. If we're excited about football, what you talk about Jesus is not. You know, it doesn't, sound like, doesn't feel like worship when you talk about Jesus. The hose... When you talk about that, it sounds like worship, but in Jesus it doesn't. I think that's a huge challenge for all of us. Sometimes it's not that we're not excited, it's just that we, we, we're fearful and we need God to empower us. But I tell, you, I tell you, there is to build on Jesus and say, Lord, teach me not to worry about the insults, that they will come. And probably, I would imagine, in the next few years, probably more and more so than ever. I do believe God's heart and hand is on this nation. I do believe for... A move of God on our nation where multitudes will be saved. I really do. But sometimes I wonder whether it, needs to, whether it will get a bit worse before it gets better. I don't know. I'm not prophesying. I don't know. But I say we have, to be, we have to gird ourselves up and be prepared for more hardship than we've known. As a result of those who, who love Jesus. Not looking for it, but when it comes our way, not to be knocked off by it. But to say, well, actually we weren't built on the foundation of you liking me. We are built on the foundation of Jesus. Does that make sense? So as we study David over this next term and we look at these psalms, you you will see again and again coming through need, weakness, triumph. That's the flavour of the Christian life. Need, weakness, victory. Paul lists off distress and and all these things we conquer. There's a victory in Christ, but it's not a fleshy one. He brings us to victory as we stand on him and we trust him. Amen. I just want to urge any of you that are here today that don't yet know him. He, he laid his life down for you. He's, he's done the hard work. He's done the stuff you could never do. He's done it, right? So that you can come to God as you are and be accepted as you are in Christ. And you might say, but I've got some things in my life that need sorting out. We all did and we all do. Let me tell you, because of what Jesus has done for you, you can come to him as you are today. He will, he will accept you and you'll know it because he will come and live in you by his spirit. This is real spiritual experience, not just dead religion. He will come and live inside of you and you'll know he's changed me. And then, yes, he will absolutely, in his loving care, go to work on you. <laughs> he loves you too much to leave you as you are. He will take you on this journey of transformation into the image of Jesus. And if you let him, I tell you, he will turn you into um, a carrier of such glory. He really, really will. But the price has been paid. 
You can be forgiven freely. You can escape the judgment of God on sin freely today. It has been paid by Jesus, by the blood of Christ. Put, put your trust in him. Make him your Lord and you will never be the same again. Amen. Amen. Let's just uh, have a moment to respond before the Lord. I'm sure, I don't know if, uh, I'm sure Rich is going to take us into bread and wine in just a moment. But I just want to just take a minute. Sometimes we can, we can, it can be revealed by God's grace that the foundation that we're building on, God, the Holy Spirit just shows us, he says, you know what, you're not, you, you know, both, both feet fully on the cornerstone, you know, that's, that's, that's the way, both feet on Jesus, build, you can build from there, and it's about trusting obedience, Jesus said, if you do these words of mine, if you do them, put them into practice, like a man who built his house on the rock. Storms will come, but you'll, you'll still be there afterwards. If you, can, if you don't, if you just sort of nod and say hallelujah and then carry on doing it your way, you're like a man who built on the sand. When the storms come, it's going to collapse. So it's serious stuff. So care about you. God cares about your life. He wants your life to last and go well. He does. Cares about you. Cares about you. So Lord, I just pray as we're in your presence here. Holy Spirit, Help those who have never come to know you to call on you for the first time. Holy Spirit, empower that cry. Empower that, Jesus, save me. Please do that, Lord, so that even today some will be born again and come to know you. And for those of us who do know you, Lord, I pray just, Spirit of God, just teach us. Teach us how we might keep building on Jesus as our foundation. How we haven't got to build on the foundation of self-sufficiency. Lord, we can make you our boast. Help us to grow in that, I pray, Holy Spirit. We just open our hearts to you. Teach us, lead us, we trust you. Amen.